During Jesus' ministry, one of the primary ways he would instruct his disciples was through parables. People would gather from far and wide in order to listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. And the most common way he would explain the kingdom was in parables. In this series, CMC campus pastors examined several parables of Jesus, exploring the rich truths they reveal about who Jesus is and what he came to achieve through his life, death, and resurrection. Now join Associate Pastor Paul Kern as he teaches on the parable of the Ten Bridesmaids. Well, welcome to lesson six in our series on the parables. I can't believe we're already in lesson six. It seems like this is really flying by. Uh, If you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25, tonight we're going to be talking about the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins that were bridesmaids. And so we're going to dive into this tonight, and, and I just want to start out just reading the story, it's, it's a little lengthy. It's about 13 verses, but it's good for us to have context. And so I want to go ahead and read these, and starting Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out, meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for us all. Go to the shop and buy some oil for yourselves. But while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned. They stood outside. They knocked on the door, calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. We're going to be talking about the parable of the ten virgins in this session, and I want to give us just a little bit of groundwork as we look at this particular teaching. This parable clearly has to do with salvation and end times. So those are the two things that we can clearly see that this parable is going to be discussing tonight, is salvation and end times. And though we don't know the day or the hour of the second coming of the Lord, we do know that he is going to come again, and he is coming for his bride. Jesus also said he doesn't know the hour or the time that he's coming, but he did teach us that we can know the season. And he began to talk in the scripture to us about certain things must take place before the second coming of Christ. And we're not going to go into talking about that tonight, but most scholars believe that we are living in that season, that we are living in what we now call the end times. The coming of Jesus is getting closer and closer, and for many, they believe it won't be long before he comes back. So go to Revelations chapter 3 with me, and and I want to use this to kind of tie in with Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 15 of Revelations chapter 3. 
Revelation 3.15, I know your works or deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, it's very interesting. Jesus is speaking here. He's talking to the church of Laodicea. He commends them about some things that they're doing right, but then he corrects them about something that they are doing horribly, horribly wrong, and that is what he's saying here. I know your works, or I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Now, notice that Jesus says, I know your works, or I know your deeds, and not your intentions. It's important. How many of y'all have all heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. Many of us have, have heard this. How does Jesus know their condition? Well, the answer is clear in the scripture. By their works or by their deeds. That's how you judge a person's heart or their relationship with Jesus. You judge them by their fruit, amen, or by their deeds, by their works, how they live their life. The Bible clearly says you can't pick good fruit from a bad tree. So if the root is bad, the fruit is bad, there will be a manifestation of that in a person's life. So the actions of people who are cold and blatantly disobey God, that's what he's talking about. Just, you're talking about somebody who's turned off. I mean, that's, that's what I used to be before I met the Lord years ago. I was cold and turned off. I mean, I was blatantly rebelling against God. I was out partying, being selfish, living my own life, caught up in revelry, doing what I wanted to do. I didn't submit to anybody, and I didn't pretend to be something that I wasn't. I knew I was lost. I didn't act like I wasn't lost. Everybody knew that Paul Kern was not a Christian. He was not living his life for the Lord. And there was no question in anybody's mind. I was lost, and I knew I was lost. Now, I'm stating this because this is very important as we look at this because people who are hot are consumed with God, right? I mean, they're on fire for God. They're passionate for God. They love God. They want to serve God. They want to be obedient to the Lord. They want to live their life to please God. They, they've purified themselves because they know if they're not living a pure life, then they can't draw near to God's presence because God is a holy God. And that's one of the things that we've been talking about this year in our churches. We're talking about being a holy generation. Holiness is their passion because without it, they can't see the Lord. And out of their love for the Lord, that comes that fire. How many of you got that fire tonight? See, I got that fire. Out of my love for the Lord comes that fire. It fuels me. It drives me. It causes me to get up in the morning. I'm excited about getting up and getting into my devotions. I'm excited about spending time with the Lord. I'm, I'm excited about talking to people about Jesus and having opportunities for divine appointments, getting to speak to people and minister to people. That's what that does when you're on fire for the Lord. And people that are on fire for the Lord, they want to obey God. 
They don't like disobeying God. They don't find pleasure in that. As a matter of fact, they don't even agree with sin. They don't enjoy sinning. Occasionally they may sin. They're not habitual sinners anymore. Occasionally they may sin, but when they do, it bothers them. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it grieves you. It's like, God, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have thought that. I should not have said that. I should not have responded that way. Lord, please forgive me. And so Jesus warns the church of Lady Elsia that their condition is neither hot nor cold. He, and then he says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. Now, I find that very interesting. That Jesus would say that I wish you were either hot or cold because I'm thinking, I, you know, I would say, I wish you were hot. But that's not what Jesus said. And so I was, I was thinking on this. Okay, why, why would Jesus say, I wish that you were either hot or cold and not just say you were hot? <clears throat> Jesus is saying their present condition, somewhere between hot and cold, is worse than cold. Lukewarm is worse than cold. It's just kind of in the middle. Now, how can all-out sinners, I'm talking admitted backsliders, be worse off than a believer who is lukewarm? Because I think about when I was living out in the world, I'm talking I was an all-out sinner. I mean, I was living for the devil how could a lukewarm believer be worse than an outright sinner? Here's why. Because lukewarm has too much hot to be cold and too much cold to be hot. And nobody likes that kind of drink. And nobody likes that kind of food. Nobody has an appetite for that. See, lukewarm has enough heat to blend in undetected with hot and enough cold to slip in unnoticed, enough cool to slip in unnoticed with cold. And so Jesus is saying in this particular church, there were a whole lot of people that were believers and they were coming to church, but they were neither hot nor cold, they were just lukewarm. In other words, lukewarm people become whoever they're around. You know, lukewarm people, when they're with their Christian friends, they're Christian. They, they, they know how to pray the prayers. They know how to raise their hands. They know how to engage in worship. They know the scriptures. They know how to make the Christian statements and do the Christian things. And then around people in the world, when they're with them, they conduct their lives in a worldly manner. Lukewarm believers obey God when obedience is easy or advantageous for them. They pursue their own desires. You know, there, there's things as, as I go throughout the day that, you know, kind of fly through my brain. And I don't know if y'all have this happen to you. I would assume that you do. But, you know, you're sitting there and you have a thought just fly across you. And, and it's not a good thought. It's a bad thought. You know, well, you ought to go do this, or I would like to go do this, or I'm thinking about listening or looking at this. And, and you know, you've got to arrest that thought. But, it, but for a person who is hot and passionate, when that thought comes, it's like, oh, no, devil, huh? -uh. That's not who I am. That's not the direction that I'm going. That's not who I'm pursuing. Now, a person who's cold, 
They don't care. That's the way they live their life all the time. It doesn't matter to them at all that those thoughts come. But a person who is lukewarm, they flirt with these thoughts. You know, James talks about it over in his book. He says, you know, a person who is double-minded, they're like the waves of the sea. They're unsettled. And it says they're, they're tossed to and fro by anything that comes along. And it says, let not that person think that they will receive anything from the Lord. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that, he, you know, literally he calls them adulterers. I mean, James doesn't, you ever read the book of James? James doesn't cut you no slack, boy. I mean, he's, he just tells you how it is. And he says, you adulterers. He says, don't you know that being a friend of the world makes you an enemy of God? And, you know, and really, if you think about what an adulterous person is, you know, and, you know, we all understand adultery is having relationships outside your covenant marriage or outside your engagement. You know, you're, you're committing adultery with another person. But really, if, if we were to define it, I think the way that Jesus would define it, because Jesus never focused on the act. Jesus always focused on the heart. Jesus probably would have said adultery was something like this. Married to one but desiring another. And you know, for a lot of people in the church of Laodicea, that's where they were. They were Christians. They went to church. And they were believers, but they were desiring and wanting to be like the world. They were wanting to do the things that the world was tempting them to do. See, lukewarm believers obey when it's to their advantage. They're just motivated out of their desires. And Jesus says, these are the kind of people that I can't stomach. I can't stomach a person like that. Now, I remember a few years back, I went out with some interns, and, and we went out to lunch and went to a hamburger joint. And it was a place in town that I didn't frequent because I'm more on this side of the town most of the time, but we had a group of us go and we all ordered hamburgers and we all ordered the same hamburgers. And that's just what we got. And so, you know, they brought them out. They all looked the same. And so we started eating our hamburgers and probably about an hour later, a couple of the interns that were with us got really, really sick. I'm talking vomiting, throwing up, awful, sick. Well, I realized what had happened. They had gotten food poisoning from the hamburgers that they ate. There was some bad meat in those patties that they happened to get that nobody else got, and their body couldn't assimilate it. It made it vile. It, it became very sick, and it had to get rid of it, okay? Now, when you were looking at the hamburger on the plate, looked just like all the other hamburgers. Looked fine, couldn't tell any difference. But inside that meat was a sickness and a disease that became very harmful for their body and their body couldn't assimilate it. But here's the thing. Jesus says that I am going to vomit out of my mouth those who say they belong to me, but they really don't. Now, I want you to understand, because I'm getting some looks tonight, and I know this isn't easy, but Jesus said this, not Paul Kern. 
So I'm just repeating what the Lord says, and then I've got to apply this to my own life just as much as you have to apply it to your life. Can I have an amen? amen. See, hot people aren't deceived concerning their relationship with God, and cold people aren't deceived concerning their relationship with God. Hot people know that they're in love with Jesus and they are pursuing him with everything that they can and cold people know that they're turned off to Christianity. They're not following Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with him. Neither one of them are deceived about their condition. But lukewarm people, on the other hand, they're deceived. They think their condition is something other than what it is. Lukewarm people think that they have a true, intimate relationship with Jesus when they really don't. And it says that's why it is worse for them than it is for all-out sinners because lukewarm people walk in a lot of deception about where they really are with the Lord. Now, I wanted to share that because it's important because that ties in so much with what we're talking about here, the 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids. So let's talk about this parable. The parable is clearly talking about a wedding. So let me just describe a first century Jewish wedding to you. Normally the bridegroom with some close friends left his home and he would go to the bride's home and they would have various ceremonies there and, and followed by a procession through the street that ultimately by the evening time would lead them to um, his home. So the ten virgins were probably bridesmaids of the wedding party who had been assisting the bride and they expected to meet the groom Jesus as he comes from the bride's house. Everyone in the procession, because it's dark, is expected to have their lamps, okay? So they're all on their way going there. And this is typically what happens in a, in a Jewish wedding. It's a, it's a week-long, it's a big deal. It lasts for days, and it's, it's a big deal. So the kingdom of heaven here is being compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, Jesus. Now, just a few things that I want you to notice here as we're talking about this. Number one, I want you to notice that all of them were virgins. They're all pure. Notice that all of them called Jesus Lord. It's very important that we see both of these things in the parable. Because Jesus is telling this, and you've got to pay attention when you're reading parables and make sure that you look at them and you pay close attention. Notice that all the virgins have lamps, which speaks of light, representing people who, re who have received the gift of eternal life. So we have virgins who are pure. We have virgins who have light. They've all received the gift of eternal life. And all of them are expecting to go with Jesus in the second coming. That's what this story or this parable is setting up. Now, of the ten virgins, Jesus said there were five wise ones and there were five foolish. But they're all virgins. They all have light. 
They all have the gift of eternal life. What separated the wise from the foolish? This is what we're going to look at. The foolish only had their lamps. That's it. Nothing more. They just had their lamps. The wise had vessels with them that contained a surplus of oil so that if the bridegroom delayed, their lamps would not go out. They would stay lit. So that was the difference between the five wise and the five foolish. Now look at verse 8. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. So obviously, the first thing that we recognize here is that the groom took longer than what they were anticipating him taking, okay? Is that not where we're at today? You know, because I'm sure if, I, if, if we were to look back and talk about the disciples when Jesus said, you know, in three days I'm going to rise from the dead and then I'm going to set up my kingdom, you know, I'm sure for many of those people, and that, that's one of the reasons that Paul specifically had to write letters to people saying, quit being busybodies, quit, quit, you know, sitting around your house not doing your work, waiting for Jesus to return. Nobody knows the hour that Jesus is going to return, but there's some things that are going to have to take place before he does. These things have not taken place yet, so get yourself up and get busy and, and be doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So we know that they were expecting him to come much sooner than what they had planned, and so this parable, Jesus is giving you and I a clue. Guys, I'm coming soon but probably not as soon as you think I'm going to come. It's going to be a little bit of time before I get here. Now look at verse 9. The others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. You go to the shop and buy some surplus oil for yourself. Now picture this, ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, walk into a surplus store. So the five foolish walk up and they say, give me that lamp. They reach in their pocket, they give the clerk some money, they say, yes, I've got my lamp, I've got my light, I've got eternal life, awesome. And they, they leave the store. Then next up are the five wise. The five wise virgins walk up to the counter and they begin emptying their pockets. I mean, of, of, of money, just lots and lots. They begin to empty their pockets. As a matter of fact, they begin to empty their pockets of all that they have, everything. They have liquidated everything that they own, all of their possessions they've liquidated. And they begin to put that money up there. As a matter of fact, all of their savings they've taken out of their savings account and they're putting all this money up on the counter and they say to the clerk, this represents everything I own, every penny I own. I have nothing else. Please give me one of those lamps. And with whatever is left over, give me as much oil as this money can possibly buy. And they walk out of the store with light and with a surplus of oil that will last them a very long time. 
So what's the difference between the five wise and the five foolish? The wise gave their entire lives. The wise gave their entire lives. Everything that they had, they gave to have eternal life. They were all in, completely sold out, totally committed. Yet the foolish, they gave the bare essential of what was required. Yeah, you know, I walked down to the altar, you know, one time and I said the Lord's Prayer. And why, you know, I was at Bible study one time, or, you know, when I was in VBS one time, vacation Bible school, I gave my, my heart to Jesus. And, you know, I go to church sometimes, you know, and I, you know, I, I believe in God. I mean, I. See, the foolish kept back part of their lives. They only gave what was essential. And that's pretty much how they live their life all the time as Christians. They only give what is absolutely essential. I'm not going to serve if I don't have to. I'm only going to come to church when I absolutely am compelled to. I'm not going to go above and beyond. I'm not going to get involved. I'm just, I've just done enough to get the light. And so they left with a lamp that burned and their light could be seen, but it could not endure to the end. And this is where many people are in the church today. This is the church that Jesus is describing in Revelations. That's why Jesus would so often say this over and over and over. He would say, he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, as you Teen Challenge guys are here tonight, there's going to be guys that endure to the end, and statistically, there will be guys who will not. And guys, I'm praying for you tonight that you will be a guy who finish what he starts, that you will endure to the end. But you have to understand, men, that there will be a lot of tribulation, frustration, temptation, aggravation. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to come your way. And if you have not got a surplus, if you are not determined, come on, then there's no possible way you will be able to endure to the end. And let me just tell you, Teen Challenge guys, I've been to your graduations and they're worth enduring to the end. There's nothing better than being at the end and being able to say to yourself, I am a finisher. And if I can finish this, I can finish anything else that God brings my way in life. It's so important for us. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. It's so important. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. It says, but while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling. Now notice what they were calling him. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Again, Jesus says, 
I do not know you. To people who were confessing him as Lord. And I've met people, church. You know, I've been in the ministry for a very long time. I've watched lots and lots of people come and lots and lots of people go through the doors of church. And I've seen lots of people make their confession. And then I never see them again. But then there are those that are on fire for Jesus. They're hot, they're passionate, they're pursuing him. They're like an anchor. They're just set. I mean, I, can, I always know I can count them, and I always know that they're going to be there. I don't ever have to question whether they're going to be living for Jesus today or not. See, that's the kind of friends I like to have in my life. That's the kind of people I want to have in my life, people that I know every single day, no matter what happens, they're going to be living for Jesus. And that's the kind of person that I want to be because I want my friends to know that, well, here's one thing. Paul may be this or Paul may be that, but I can tell you one thing. Paul will always be living for Jesus. You can always count on the fact that if you have a problem and you need help, Paul will be living for Jesus. See, that's what you want people to say about you. You may not be perfect. You may have flaws. You may have some shortcomings. You know, you may not have it all together, but I'm going to tell you one thing. You've got a surplus of oil that's going to get you through. The lukewarm people had not given their entire lives, and because of that, the door was locked to them. Jesus said, I don't know you. Now, I've seen you around. I think I saw you talking to some of my disciples one time. As a matter of fact, I, I remember being at the temple, and I was preaching, and I I saw you hanging out. I, I remember some worship going on, and I thought I looked over and saw your hands raised. Maybe I'm, I'm not really sure, but but I don't know. I don't know your name. Who are you? You're not a part of the wedding party because if you're a part of the wedding party, then I know who you are. I know you by name. Church, we want Jesus to know us by our name. Well, the only way that you're going to know somebody by their name is you're going to have to have a relationship with them. Now, I'm, I'm about to admit something as a pastor that I really hate to admit, but I don't know everybody's name here. And you're probably sitting in your seats going, I don't know everybody's name here either. I meet people that come in on Sunday mornings, and I mean, I'm just like, what is their name? What is their name? What? And as they're coming toward me. I'm thinking, what is their name? What is their name? And I'm wishing somebody was there to tell me. And sometimes if I see them coming far enough away, I duck and grab somebody that I think knows their name and says, what's their name? And they tell me their name. I'm like, hey, Jim, how's it going? Now, don't act like you've never done that because I know you have. <clears throat> but the thing is, I wouldn't have that problem if I knew them. I've never walked up to my wife and said, now what's your name? I know my wife's name. I'm married to her. Come on. Hello? See, if you know Jesus, you're married to him. You know him intimately. You spend time with him daily. You know, it would be weird for me to go several days without talking to my wife. That would be awful for me. I would be sad. I would be upset. I mean, when I'm away from my wife for just 
uh, you know, if I go out of town for like a day, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get back home. I want to get home to my wife. You know, I don't like being away from my wife. And yet, for many people, they can go days and weeks without talking to the Lord, without having a relationship with Him. You know, we pop open our online Bible and, you know, we look at it and, you know, the last time we had a streak was months ago and our streak was only three days. See, Jesus is wanting us to have a relationship with him. He's wanting us to be close with him, not to be lukewarm, but to be hot. Jesus said, I would rather you be hot or I would rather you be cold, but I don't want you to be in the middle. As I close this session tonight, the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 38, I think really sum up what I'm talking about. It says, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. If you're lukewarm tonight, and I, I'm praying that there's nobody in this room that is, but I think it would probably be foolish of me to, it would probably be remiss of me to think that there, everybody in here was hot or cold. Because the fact is, church, in America, we struggle with this. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about American Christianity is we, we preach a gospel that's confusing. We preach a prosperity gospel. We preach an easy gospel. I think a lot of people preach a gospel that talks about the provision of the resurrection without the cross. And you just simply can't have the provision of the power of the resurrection without the cross of Jesus Christ in your life. And so tonight, if you're lukewarm, I want to encourage you. Fan the flame. That's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you, that you receive by the laying on of hands. And I don't know when it was that you were saved. Some of you may have been a long time ago. Some others of you may have been fairly recently. But my encouragement for you tonight is fan that flame. Fan the flame of passion. Fan the flame of love. Do what you have to do to get yourself out of a lukewarm state and move yourself into a state of being hot and pursuing God with everything that you have. May we all be found faithful tonight, burning bright with a lamp full of surplus of oil so that we can endure to the very end and those that endure to the end receive the prize. Amen? Amen. Let's give God a hand clap tonight. Stand with me. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for the service. And God, we ask that you pierce our hearts, Lord. Convict us. Help us to grow. Help us to become more like you, pursuing you more each and every day. God, go before us this week. Watch over us. Protect us. Protect our families. God, use us. Help us to live grateful, thankful lives and bring us back here Sunday once again as we join together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Christian Ministries Church Weekly Podcast. Summer is almost here, and we want you to know about one of our awesome resources for teens. Each summer, CMC hosts a camp called High Point Designed for Teens, ages 15 through 19. High Point is a biblical worldview camp that equips young adults for the challenges that are relevant to their culture. High Point has a variety of inspiring speakers, awesome worship, challenging obstacle courses, and fun activities. For more information or to register online, you can visit our website at hpoint.org. Spots are limited, so we encourage you to register today. 